Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. J.P. Hortstra with the Southern California News Group. Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I'm very excited for this week's episode. All-Star Game buzz is heating up. The Dodgers are using the closer by committee that we were all threatened with after Kenley Jansen signed with the Braves and before A.J. Pollock was traded for Craig Kimbrell. Mookie Betts is back playing with a cracked rib. Chris Taylor has a fractured bone in his foot. And yet, the Dodgers have the best record in the National League. But that's not why I'm excited. I'm excited because I'm going to be talking about all of this with a special guest. My special guest is still all-time single-season record holder for home runs in Dodgers franchise history. He is a two-time All-Star. His 19 total bases on May 23, 2002 in Milwaukee represent more total bases than I have in my entire career. I'm talking, of course, about Sean Green. So without further ado, Sean Green. Sean, thanks for coming on, man. This is this is great to have you here. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk a little baseball. Yeah, um, we've got the All Star Game coming up. It's coming to Los Angeles, July 19th, and you are a two time All Star. Back, your baseball card shows me you were an All Star in 1999 with the Blue Jays, 2002 with the Dodgers. As a player, what sticks with you to this day from your two appearances on the all-star team? Yeah, this, it was a, a big thrill for me to make that first one. That um, was a dream I had my whole life. And 99, I would say, was probably the most iconic all-star game of all time or one of them. And I would say 2002 was probably one of the worst all-star games <laughs> of all time. Um, and I'll explain but 99 was they had the greatest living baseball players all in the same field, um, which was amazing. And then, of course, it's at Fenway, um, which is a field that most of those guys had played on, except maybe, maybe a few National League guys that didn't get a chance to ever play there. And and then you have, you know, Pedro Martinez go out and um, as, as the starting pitcher for the home field. And I think he struck out. Sixer, I mean, dominated and, and uh, just put on a show. Um, Ted Williams was there. We all huddled around Ted and took took some pictures, and it was it was just a really an amazing experience. And then fast forward a few years, um, 2002 in Milwaukee, and that was the, the All Star game that ended in a tie. It was raining the whole time. All the parties got canceled around the event. Um, mm. The stadium was leaking water, and it was just it was, it was just kind of everything that could go wrong went wrong, um, and that led to um, the, the all-star game determining home field advantage, which is no longer the case, but you know, for quite a number of years, it, that was a result of that game. 
two very different experiences indeed. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, they make for good stories in different ways, right? <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. No, it, it was cool. Like the Boston one, you, you know, you had Matt Damon and, you know, a lot of, a lot of those Boston huge, you know, baseball fans, the Red Sox had still never won a world series at that point. Sure. You know, and they had great teams and they had that, you know, that, that rivalry, rivalry with them and the Yankees was, you know, as strong as ever uh, with the different, the different uh, team, both teams being really good in the playoffs and, you know, battling and all that stuff. So there's all this great stuff that was happening. And, you know, you throw on top of that, having all these legends of the game, there are guys that I grew up idolizing and guys that I, uh, you know, wished I could be playing in person. Um, so yeah, that was, yeah, that was, a, that was a good way to kick it off for me as, as a, a first-time All-Star. That's cool. Well, I'm sure Dodger Stadium would love to host an All-Star game as memorable as that one. I think what they do have is a chance to have a Pedro Martinez-like performance because they have arguably four pitchers who deserve to be on the National League All-Star team. Talking about Julio Arias, Clayton Kershaw, Tony Gonsolin, and Tyler Anderson. Um, all have been discussed as possible all-stars. And we can talk about, you know, the specifics of each, but I guess what I'm really interested in hearing from you is, you know, especially thinking about Pedro in 1999, how special it is to be able to do that in front of your home fans and just kind of the atmosphere that creates. Is there, in your opinion, some merit to the idea that independent of, like, the stats of, say, Sandy Alcantara, who's having a great season for the Marlins, who has a valid argument to be on the team and, and to start the game, uh, that a Clayton Kershaw should get the nod just because the game is in L.A., or, or Tony Gosselin, who's 10-0, and 0, or Tyler Anderson, who's 9-1. and 1. Is it that much more special when you have the hometown player pitching in front of his hometown fans? Yeah, I, actually, I think I, as long as it's, it's not a, a stretch to have a hometown pitcher starting the all-star game if it's if it's close then i think it it, it should be and the reason is because it, it just pulls it, it changes the atmosphere of the game because you know that pitcher goes out there you know right you know to throw the first pitch of the game the crowd goes nuts because it's their hometown star and uh and they're they're hanging on every pitch more so than they would be if it was you know another top pitcher in the league but i would sure. i still think the all-star game is so um, I don't know. It's, it's such a an honor to to make the team and then to get the start. And I, I think the numbers and the first half production um, definitely should weigh in very very heavily into that. Like when Pedro did it, he was the best and most deserving pitcher to start that game. Um, right now, I would argue that Tony Gonsolin is that pitcher, and you know Clayton had you know the best career of any pitcher in his generation. And, you know, of all time, he's, he's up there amongst the, the greatest. So there's a good argument, I think, for him as well. But just based on where this season is, it's, it, it'd be pretty hard to pass on, on conflict. And I think especially given what you were saying about being an all-star for the first time, Gonsolin has never been an all-star before. Uh, same for Tyler Anderson, but I think – it sounds like, you know, for Gonsolin to get that recognition as the starting pitcher in really a season that he's never had before in his career, but, you know, somebody who came with 
potential and promise to finally deliver on that and get to do it in his home stadium, I, I can only imagine how that would feel for to be in his shoes. Oh, it'd be absolutely amazing. And, you know, it's the thing in baseball. I think a lot of times maybe people are voting for different awards at the end of the season or whatever. They might say, oh, this guy's won it a bunch of times, or this guy, mm-hmm. he's young and he's got a big career ahead of him. He'll, he'll get there later, more times in the future. The World Series, like, oh, you know, this team's great. They're going to get there a bunch of times. And what you learn after you play for a long time is when you have special moments or special seasons, you got to – like that, that just doesn't come easily, and it might never come again. Like he, he might never have a start like this again. So when he has a start like this, he deserves to start the game. And you can't just say, oh, well, Clayton's, you know, a, a future Hall of Famer already and all this stuff. He should start. I, I think you look at someone like Tony and say, God, this, this guy's having an amazing year, deserves to start the game. And, you know, next year – is a different year. So you, you can't, you can, and last year is a different year. You got to go with who's the best right now. And I think the Dodger for me only um, strengthens the argument to, to start it. Absolutely. Dude, awards voting is no joke. It's hard enough as it is. Don't make me pick the all-star <laughs> starters, please. Oh, yeah, not I'm with you. Yeah. I get it. Not even Yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing. Once you make an all-star team or two, you kind of want to be the one that gets snubbed, I think, because, you know, especially as an everyday player, because you, you're kind of exhausted and those four days off make a big difference. Like for mm-hmm. me, it's kind of mm-hmm. crazy. My best year was 2001. I didn't make the all-star team. And um, so it's, it's, it's never really, you know, who's going to have the best year, you know, come October and you look back on the season. It's, it's who had the best start and or right. who's, you know, the biggest star that people vote for. Right. And that's led to some kind of strange all-star selections over the years. Like I'll go back and see, <laughs> Oh, that guy was an all-star that year. Really? That, that guy that year. And, and you're right. Often it comes down to the first half. Sometimes it comes down to the rule requiring one player on every team. Sometimes you get a guy who's having a so-so season, but he's the best player on his team that's having a bad season. And, you know, all of a sudden, bam, that guy's an all-star. Um, hopefully he enjoys the experience, but, you know, 20 years later, it's a little hard to figure out. Um, <laughs> not a problem for the Dodgers, though. <laughs> if anything, the Dodgers are going to have the opposite problem. Probably somebody who's having a very good season on the Dodgers is not going to make the team because they deserve maybe six or seven guys on merit. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, when you have teams as stacked as the Dodgers and, and this year the Mets are playing really well, when you have some of these teams, um, the Yankees, it's it's hard just to keep throwing in more guys from the same squad just because you want to spread it out and it's it's a exhibition. So you want the fans, you know, who are coming in from all over to watch their favorite players have you know, represented. So um, that's that's the strange thing about the All Star Game. I mean, it's it's an exhibition. Um, but when the guys are in the field, everyone wants to perform well and no one wants to be embarrassed. So I don't think there's anything right. with you know, worrying about guys trying hard and stuff. But um, it, it's just, it's a tough balance to have an exhibition um, and and get the right type of vibe around it where, yeah, the fans are entertained because it's competitive enough to have all their star players there um, and there's some type of meaning in the game, you know, aside from just – you know, a bunch of guys playing a few innings and walk up the field. So I, it, it's a tricky thing, but I, I think 
I think it's still pretty special, and I think people love the home run derby. They yeah. they love just the experience and you know, baseball and and the NBA. They don't have it's not like football where you have a set place to have you know the, the championship game right and their series. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they're going to be, so it's nice to have a moment that you could plan around. You could have all kinds of stuff in the city events and really kind of showcase baseball in different cities. And it's the only time that, that sports that have a seven-game series um, for the championship you get a chance to do that. That's a good point. And if you're a fan, you, that's right, you can't plan on buying World Series tickets uh, months in advance, but you know where the All-Star game is going to be. That's a really good point. Exactly. Um, Want to switch gears, different topic. Speaking of tough choices, how's that for a segue? The Dodgers are without their closer, Craig Kimbrell. And Thanks to a series of injuries, Kimbrell's hopefully isn't that serious. As we speak, he is awaiting the results of the CT scan. But the Dodgers have also lost their top couple setup men over the course of this season to injury. Blake Trinan is also on the aisle with a shoulder problem. Daniel Hudson's season is over. And so right now, Dave Roberts, without Craig Kimbrell, is looking at a committee. He's looking at Evan Phillips. Yancy Almonte got the save on Monday night. Um, Phil Bickford has been mentioned as somebody in that committee. Maybe Bruce Dark Gratterall gets a save opportunity. And these are really guys who have never closed before. And I wanted to put something to you, Sean, uh, that I had heard from a former player, which is that, you know, the closer by committee looks better on paper, at least to players, than it does in reality. And, and what he meant by that is just that when you have that one closer – throw his ERA out the window, um, throw out how he did, you know, two games ago. If he's your guy and you know he's the guy who is getting that ninth inning save situation, there's a measure of security, a measure of comfort, a measure of confidence that he gives the other players on the team that a three-person committee, for example, of guys who aren't proven closers, of guys who might not be doing it the next night because you're rotating the job, just don't quite give you. And that's not maybe intuitive to fans, but I, I wanted to throw that idea by you to see if, if that's something, Sean, that you can relate to uh, from your career as a player. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's it's ideal and, and actually really important to have a, a set closer. And I, I don't think it's, you know, when you have injuries and you're dealing with stuff like that, yeah, every team has moments in the season where they have to improvise. And in this case, it's with the closer position. But um, I, I, I was fortunate to play with some of the best closers in the game. Eric Gagne had a stretch where he was unhittable. I played later in my career on the Mets with Billy Wagner. And, and when you have those guys, it's it's not only your own team that feels that security, knowing, okay, we got our guy going late. It's also the, the opposing team where they say, okay, you know, they kind of count back the innings. Like, okay, we got to do something here because we have, you know, we have Mario Rivera coming in, so we got to we got to get something done because we're in trouble if we get to the ninth. And we have, if you're a really solid bullpen, you have someone that's nasty in the eighth inning. Like those Yankee teams in the in the middle eight nineties, you know, had the seventh to ninth, ninth innings were, were were really tough. And then you it makes your starters that much better because guys like. David Cohn, who's kind of tricking you with mixing pitches around and changing speeds, he only has to get through the lineup, you know, twice or two and a half times, and then you get to this rock, rock solid bullpen. So 
Um, it it kind of all starts with that closer position, having that defined. And I think both teams kind of anchor on who that person is and how that person's doing. And the rest of the bullpen, you know, it's, it's different to fill in the seventh and eighth inning and try to figure out how to get to that ninth. But if you're kind of figuring out each of those innings, there's, there's more that can go wrong. And I think mm. the opposing hitters don't feel that sense of urgency to get something on the board um, a couple innings, you know, before the closer comes. That's a good point. And, you know, the Dodgers, we kind of took it for granted with Kenley Jansen, arguably the best closer over the span of the decade, um, at least in the National League that he was here. And um, all of a sudden, <laughs> things change. Um, Kenley Jansen's in Atlanta, Craig Kimbrell's on the IL, and Yancy Almonte's coming in with two out in the ninth inning. Like, yeah. who's at you fat? I wanted to throw one more thing by you here, Sean, before, uh, before we – we part ways on, on this episode, which is you, you mentioned this, you played for the Mets at the end of your career and both the Mets and the Dodgers happen to be having excellent seasons, two best records in the national league. You played for both teams. I know there's a lot of hype that comes with the two largest media markets in the country, New York and LA getting some fan buzz, potentially meeting in the national league championship series at the end of the season. But you were there on the inside what, in your opinion, would make a Mets-Dodgers NLCS special if we get to that? Yeah, I think um, there's nothing better in really in sports, I think, than an L.A.-New York series. I mean, you got you throw Boston in there. I mean, the ultimate for baseball is to have you know Boston-New York face each other in the, play, in, in the playoffs, and it gets the World Series to have L.A.-New York, and that's that's the ultimate. And what would um, make it, and here you have a chance to have, you know, both the NLCS and a World Series of LA New York, and that'd be that's right. That'd be uh, pretty hard to beat, right? So, I think the key to making that happen, and also to making it, you know, just an incredible series, is to have those those New York pitchers healthy. Right? I mean, that's they've they've been dealing with some injuries for the um, their top two pitchers, and uh, with Scherzer in, in the ground. So if those guys are healthy, and you know. Scherzer's getting older, so you know we all mm-hmm. saw that the issues he had late um, with the Dodgers and, and dealing with you know, arm fatigue and stuff like that. So if he's healthy, the Dodgers, you know, I would say it's important to have Kyler Kershaw healthy, but they're so deep that there's there's other guys that we've already discussed that you know could jump in there and and uh, you know be aces for any other club in baseball. So. Um, that's what that's what makes those those games so exciting. When you have you know a big pitching duel, uh, and and pitching tends to to take the lead in the postseason. The bats quiet down mm. a little bit. Everyone's extra careful, you know, not letting certain guys beat them in, in different situations. So you know, it tends to be lower scoring lower, lower scoring games, and um, you know it's, that's something that I, for me personally, it's, it's really fun to watch a matchup like you know. Kershaw DeGrom or, um, you know, Scherzer and Gonsolin would be, you know, a, a great one as well. So those are the types of things that I think the fans will love and the, and the players will be, they'll be fired up. So, you know, when you get those, that combination, um, those, those two cities are electric. It's scary to think that the Mets and the Dodgers both were the first and second to get to 50 wins and the Mets did it without DeGrom all season, arguably the best pitcher in the National League. But he's on the comeback trail, on the rehab trail as of this week. So 
we might be seeing him back on the field soon. I'm with you, Sean. I think that would make for a really fan-friendly matchup um, with the big names involved on both sides. I'm going to let you go. This was awesome. Thanks for being my guest on this episode. Uh, hopefully to do it again. Sean Green, thank you for coming on. Yeah, JP, it was a blast, and I look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thank you to my special guest, Sean Green. After we recorded, we found out that Kimbrell's CT scan came back clean, did not reveal anything that will send him to the injured list. He is expected back Wednesday night against the Rockies if needed. We also recorded before we could discuss Chris Taylor's small fracture in his left foot that will send him to the injured list. But one more breaking item that is a little more pertinent to our discussion. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reported that there will be a backdoor for Clayton Kershaw to get into the All-Star game. And let me just read from his story here in The Athletic. This is taken from a clause in the new CBA that Ken received via a source. It says, In addition to the 32 players elected and selected to the All-Star game, the commissioner may choose to add one player that he selects to each league's roster in recognition of each player's career achievements. If special circumstances warrant, the commissioner may select more than one player to each league's roster. Now, Ken reported this by way of saying that Albert Pujols might make the NL roster, which makes sense. It's his last season, the future Hall of Famer. Get to see him wearing a Cardinals uniform in a nationally televised game at least one more time. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't know if this will be Clayton Kershaw's last season either. He does not have a contract for next year. Last offseason, he contemplated retirement until his health allowed him to come back. Kershaw's only 34, but he's already a Hall of Famer if he retires tomorrow. And if what Kershaw has done in the first half doesn't get him into the game on merit, which really comes down to the fact that he's only made 10 starts compared to, for example, Sandy Alcantara, he's the league leader with 17, you might see Rob Manford press the panic button and say, I'm going to get Clayton Kershaw into the game all by myself. So that's something to watch for. Well, that's it for this week's show. The Dodgers are at home the rest of this week. Travel day on Monday, then it's off to St. Louis. Back home to Anaheim for a couple games before the All-Star break. I'll try to use that off day to get you another episode. Until then, thank you for listening. We'll be back.
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.